Hello and welcome to Shut Up and Jimmer. Those are words I have not said in a long time. That's right. We're back. I'm your host, Steve Pierce. I'm here with my co-host, as always, the honorable and decent Robert F. McCombs, the 14th. Robbie, how are you? It's been forever. It has been. It's been a minute, Steve. It's it's good to finally be back. You know, life kind of life has a way of just kind of getting in the way sometimes, you know, with different jobs, kind of just family stuff keeping us busy. But you know, when BYU beats the number two team in the country, when national media pundits such as Seth Davis are calling BYU final four contenders, I mean, duty calls, and it's definitely time to record and talk about our passion, which is BYU basketball. So really excited to get back in the thing. You know, we're just about in March. You know, this is the best time of year for college basketball. So really excited to talk just about BYU hoops. A lot of excitement around the program right now. Lots of excitement. All of it warranted. This has been an incredibly fun year. I'm kind of sad that we haven't podcasted our way through it, um, but it's been great to kind of uh, just experience as a fan. Um, but now, with especially as we get into March and we're, t- we're looking at potentially an NCAA tournament run ahead of us, this seemed like the right time to to bring back the podcast and kind of at least for the next couple of weeks, uh, get together and, and break down this team and break down the games and, and talk about what's ahead of us because I think it could be pretty exciting. Um, so without further ado, let's just dive right into it, Robbie. Last night, uh, we're recording this on Sunday, um, but last night on Saturday evening had maybe one of the best games in the history of the Marriott Center, certainly one of the biggest wins in the history of the BYU program, at least in recent memory. Um what are you, what were your takeaways from BYU taking down Gonzaga uh, by 13 points, no less, on their home floor at the Marriott Center on senior night for this senior-laden group? Yeah, it was really interesting coming into the game. Obviously, the two games, the preceding games, just BYU's performance didn't necessarily give a lot of encouragement. Um, two games prior, last Saturday versus San Diego, BYU had to eke out a one-point win over San Diego team that was second to last in the WCC. That was the first game without Dalton Nixon. So you're thinking, okay, obviously we knew Dalton Nixon was really important. But you started to think, okay, how important was Dalton Nixon actually to this team? He was the glue guy, but was he kind of the engine that kind of like kept everything together? And then the Santa Clara game, BYU did win by 10 points against a solid Broncos team. But again, that was BYU blew a double-digit ha- second-half lead. They were down in the last 10 minutes. So coming to the Gonzaga game, it's like, okay, like, you know, BYU is very experienced. You would hope senior night, they kind of rise to the occasion. At the same time, Gonzaga had been struggling a little bit coming into the game. They were had an eight-point or nine-point deficit to San Francisco Thursday night. So Gonzaga wasn't playing very well, but at the same time, it was Gonzaga, the number two team in the country. They'd beaten St. Mary's at in Moraga by 30 points just a couple weeks earlier. So it was just it was a little bit tense coming to this game. I thought BYU did have a, a solid chance to win, but just like man, you just really hope it doesn't get out of hand. And BYU doesn't lose by twenty. I, my my kind of hope. I mean, I know we were kind of t- talking about it, Steve, earlier. Just we wanted BYU at least to be competitive. Like you didn't want a game where BYU just gets the blo- the doors blown off and lose by thirty. But man, the game just I mean, obviously neither one of us were at the game just because we live out of state. But seeing the atmosphere in the Marriott Center, I remember I was there for the BYU San Diego State nine years ago. That was my freshman year at BYU. And honestly, the atmosphere seemed to rival that. Like the Marriott Center was just unbelievable. You could tell players were feeding off the energy. And then just the way the game went as well. Like, like I think both teams at the beginning of the game were a little bit, just kind of a little bit juiced up too much by the atmosphere. So things got. We're slow a little little bit, but at the beginning. 
but as we kind of got into it, BYU was just firing on offense. I think that was BYU's best offensive performance of the season. Just BYU's ball movement, just consistent ball movement, just really dialing in their plays. Even defense like in the first half, Gonzaga, probably the best front line in the nation. BYU more than held their own in the first half rebounding. BYU out-rebounded Gonzaga in the first half. Gonzaga had only one offense rebound in the first half, which I think really that gave BYU the eight-point advantage, and BYU never really looked back. And in the second half, Gonzaga their, Gonzaga was really crashing the boards, and Gonzaga had a lot of second-chance points. But because of that, Gonzaga concerted so much energy in those rebounds, BYU is really able to take advantage of that. When BYU did get the rebound, I think Gonzaga was a little bit too tired on defense. And then Jake Toulson was splashing threes from Jim Arangioli, had a career game. TJ Haas was continued his magnificent senior year. So overall, it's just it's just so exciting for this program right now. There's so many question marks coming into the season. I mean, just looking at it at a higher level, Steve, I mean, last year, the very last game of the season, BYU lost by 30 points to San Diego. And you're like, man, this program is such a low place. And then just the energy Mark Pope has invigorated into this program, just the hope. I feel like just the hope he's invigorated into the team. The team is so unselfish. Like the team, honestly, just you hear a lot of coaches speak like, hey, teams need to buy in. We need to have the best locker room in America. But I really feel like this team is so unselfish, so bought in. And that's what makes for me this team Maybe, maybe the funnest BYU team ever, football or basketball ever seen watching, just how much they buy in together, just how good teammates they are, how much they love and play for each other, how much they believe in Coach Pope and how much Pope believes in the players and wants this for the fans. It's just so fun to watch. We're right in the middle of it. So, I mean, all of that kind of cultivated. And obviously, the season's not done yet, but it, last night was just really, it really brought in those fringe BYU fans that really watch when BYU is, you know, really at this ultimate, like the high stage. I think it really captured an entire BYU fan base for this stretch run that we're about to embark on for the last month of the year. Yeah, it was, it was incredible. And I, I tweeted, you know, last night that, you know, BYU has had a ton, a ton of great teams, uh, over the years. Uh, the Jimmer years are incredibly hard to beat. Um, especially, especially for me, I was, I was at BYU during that time. I had religion class with Jimmer Fredette before that semester when they were making their run up until the point where he couldn't come to class anymore because he couldn't step foot on campus without being mobbed. <laughs> so it was, that was an incredible thing to like live through and be there for. But despite all of that, this team is my favorite BYU team that we've ever had. I love watching this team. This team, like you said, they're so dialed in. They're so together. They're so, and this, like you said, it sounds like coach speak. It sounds like pablum that players tell the press because that's what they think they want to hear. But it really is true with this team. These guys play for one another. It's, and, you know, as great as the Jimmer team was, everybody knew, even though they had great players on that team, that team was only going to take them as far as Jimmer Fredette was going to carry them. And then when Jimmer and Jimmer, you know, he walked the higher wire act for a long time up until that Florida game where they end up losing in overtime. Jimmer didn't have a great game. I was a, maybe one of the first only ones he's had that year that wasn't great. And they lost. This team is not that way. This team has so many guys who all know their role, who all can contribute in different ways, who can balance the scoring, who can pick each other up when there's a game that, you know, Maybe Yoli has an off game or Jake has an off game or TJ has an off game. Zach Selyus can step up. Uh, Alex Barcelo can step up. There's just, they just are, they are a team that, that word that this, this team embodies that word. And they're so fun to watch. I get so much joy out of watching them play when they were kind of making their first kind of big run in the first half, that back half of the first half last night. I was just kind of like antsy and giddy in my seat. I was so excited because I was so enjoying 
watching them do their thing. They're just such a joy to watch. Um, and it's, I'm so emotionally invested and it was last night was kind of, you know, the culmination of, of what's been a season of building towards this moment. And hopefully it's not, you know, the end to continue to build from here and go beyond and do more great things. Um, but it was just a really great kind of encapsulation in, in, of what Mark Pope has been preaching and teaching these guys all year and has been saying over and over and over again. Like last night was when they finally put it all together. I think they've had a ton of really great games this year, but last night was the, was the first time I think that they've put it together for 40 straight minutes. Um, they've had, you know, great games or great halves where they've blown the doors off teams and been clicking offensively and defensively. And then they'll, they'll have like a couple minutes, five minutes, six minute lull in the second half. And they'll kind of, let the team back in before they kind of close it out. Last night, they had pedal to the metal all the way through. And yeah, Gonzaga made a run in the second half and made it close. But every time Gonzaga got within striking distance, there was an answer. And it was always coming from a different guy. It was a total team effort, which is what I loved. It was every single person who stepped foot on that floor last night, with the exception of maybe Dalton Nixon, who got put in at the end just to hold the ball so that he could be on the floor, which was an incredible moment that I loved, especially because <laughs> I love Dalton Nixon. And it was great for him to be a part of that. But every single person who set, the, set foot on the, that floor last night in a white jersey had a major piece that they contributed to that win which i i guess is why i wanted to for the time and in terms of how we want to break this game down today um maybe do it a little bit differently than we've done in the past and just talk about each player individually because this was a team win and everybody contributed uh to help pull it off and so let's just go one by one and talk a little bit about what what each player that played last night what they brought to the floor and, and how they helped contribute to help this team win starting with um, you know, the man himself, who I, you know, we would be remiss not to mention because he's the biggest factor in kind of determining BYU's altitude this year, Yoli Childs. Yeah, Yoli, Yoli was unbelievable. I think we both agree. Yoli's, he's probably BYU's most talented player. Um, he's BYU's best NBA prospect. And just Yoli's been on the floor. BYU's been, BYU's really hard to stop because just with all the shooters BYU has around Yoli and just with Yoli's, with his ability, his ability to score down low. Now he's his, his outside shot. He could put the ball on the floor a little bit. Just and his effort last night was outstanding. Um, I talked about up top at the beginning, just how BYU struggled the past couple of games. And partly part of that is Yoli, he hasn't had his, his most efficient games, but he was really efficient last night. He was 12 of 19 for the field, shooting above 60%. He had a double-double, 28 points, 10 rebounds. And just going against that Gonzaga front court, I mean, Gonzaga just has very talented guys. They have Philip Petrushev, who might be the potential WCC Player of the Year candidate. They have Drew Timmy, a freshman, but a top 100 recruit, very talented. Of course, senior Killian Tilly, who, when healthy, is probably the most talented and most versatile player in the WCC. And Yoli just withstood blows the whole night. I mean, he was so good. I mean, Gonzaga brought double teams for different angles. Gonzaga didn't bring double teams at times. Yoli just was so dialed in throughout the night. And the, the numbers speak of themselves. I mean, obviously, with Yoli, if he doesn't have a because I think Yoli had graded his performance in A. If Yoli even had a B performance, I mean, BYU did one by 13. I'm not sure if BYU wins that game just because of his decision-making, his passing, the way he commanded the interior part of the defense. I mean, Yoli was everywhere, just magnificent. I think that was really his cultivating performance of his whole BYU career and just what really what he embodies. Yeah, he was incredible. I mean, he's had an incredible career. He's always been incredible. And this team... You know, I said they're a team, and they are, and they are, and and in order to win, they rely on everybody kind of pitching in and doing their part. 
But we've seen the difference in in outcomes when Yoli Childs is on the floor for this team and when he is not this year. And he's been off the floor a lot, unfortunately. But when he is on the floor, BYU is, is now 15-2. and two. And the two losses were to Utah, which when he exited the game with an injury, they were winning. And then on the road at San, at San Francisco, when he it was his first game back from a finger injury, just literally dislocating his finger and having the bone rip through the skin. It was his first game back. Sounds a little painful. Um, those are the, it sounds awful. Um, and just like getting back in the flow of that uh, is tough, especially after being off for, for the time that he was. Um, when he's not on the floor, they're eight and five. So the, the the difference is stark. Yoli is a huge difference maker on this team, and he showed it last night. He was incredible. You know, we talked about you talked about Killian Tilly, who is an incredible player, and I think probably has an NBA career ahead of him if he can stay healthy. Um, he did. He he had he had no answers for Yoli when he BYU was hunting Killian Tilly down on the on the offensive end when Gonzaga was on defense. They were hunting, uh, trying to get. Killian Tilly matched up against Yoli because Yoli could go on him every single time. And Killian Tilly is no slouch, right? But Yoli Childs last night was a man and he scored in a ton of different ways. He scored kind of little runners from outside the paint, getting down and and getting obviously dunks off lobs. Uh, He hit a a step back three at the top of the key at one point, which was maybe a bonus baby. I don't think I've ever seen him hit a shot like that quite before. Um, But he was just so good. And you could tell that this, you know, Yoli feels so deeply about BYU. He came back for his senior year. Um, You could tell he was not going to allow his team to lose this game and to walk off the floor for the last time in the Marriott Center in his career as a loser. And he he just willed this team and it was he was incredible. It was it was everything that you'd want from Yoli. And hopefully, you know, on that stage against against a team like Gonzaga on national television, uh, where everyone's eyes were kind of on that as like the second best game of the day. Um hopefully help to raise his raise his profile even further, boost his draft stock because he's an incredible player and I hope he has every opportunity um moving forward that he that he deserves which he does he deserves everything in my opinion um yeah tj haas oh you you have anything else no, to say about was unbelievable and then just i mean kind of continue like you're about to hit on tj just the, the kid to continue on the senior kind of train because i mean it was really the seniors that carried it last night and then speaking of tj um i don't know if a good player such as tj has received so much flack as much flack as he has in his career. Um, I know you would argue from people on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I know that we, I mean, yeah, we've harped on TJ. I mean, you probably argue Matt Carlino has received more undue flack than anyone else, but um, yes, I yes, would. you would. That's <laughs> not easy. That's easy argument for you, but TJ, I mean, just, he's been unbelievable this year. I think he's BYU's most valuable player. I mean, I don't think he's as talented as Yoli. I don't think he does as a lot, some good things as well as Toulson, but he's really the engine that makes everything go. He's, I think he's BYU's most valuable player. Just with his ball movement, his passing, his decision-making, his decision-making on the pick and roll. He's one of the best point guards in all of college basketball with his decision-making. Just when to, when to pull up, like he envisions when a screener goes under the screen, he'll pull up. When a screener follows him on the screen, he'll find Yoli for that slip. He's just so good and so smart in what he's did. I think yesterday at the beginning of the game really embodied just his value. I mean, with Dalton Nixon out, BYU kind of needed an energy guy, someone to do some of those dirty plays. TJ, first before the first media timeout, took two charges at the beginning of the game. So I think he hasn't done a lot of his career, but just really set the tone, I felt 
like for the beginning of that game, they just say, hey, this is a team effort. We all need to step up a little bit. I'll need to really do an extra thing if we want to beat Gonzaga. I mean, he just does so many good things while his shooting, his passing. I mean, he's he's really making a lot of tough shots recently, um, tough, tough mid-range shots off the dribble, catch and shoot. He just does so many good things. His defense has gotten a lot better this year. And I just can't say enough good things about TJ. He's really stepped it up his senior year. One of the best players in all all of the West. And if BYU is going to make a deep run in the tournament, I think a lot of it's been because TJ, he really seems to step up during these times. So just so, so excited to see what TJ, the way he stepped up during the senior year of his. Yeah, and it really has been, you know, you get online and you see a bunch of folks shaming others for like, ah, oh, can you believe that you know, people used to give TJ that people have given TJ Haas crap during his career. Guess what, guys? I'm here on this podcast to tell you tonight. There have been times in TJ Haas's career when he deserved to get flack from people. I mean, this season, that Boise State game, he was awful. There have been <laughs> and like, this year. yes, and there's there's times in any player's career like everyone's going to have bad games. But you know, TJ yep. in the past, I think his biggest struggle has been consistency. Uh, is just being being able to be relied upon. He's had incredible games and he's had horrible games and he kind of just felt like the pendulum would just swing back and forth. There wasn't that consistency. This year, and he kind of he did struggle a little bit a, bit a little bit at the beginning of the year, but especially as the year has gone on, the number one thing that TJ has been able to do is become a consistent player that you can rely on night in and night out. And you know exactly what you're going to get from TJ Haas. You're going to get a smart, heady player uh, who runs the offense, who makes good decisions, who competes on defense despite the fact that he's, you know, obviously slighter than than most guys that he's going to be guarding. Um, TJ has just really bought into this team and into this concept. And he's this offense works perfectly for him. I think it's absolutely crazy. If you think back to a year ago, that th- that BYU was actively taking the ball out of TJ Haas's hands in terms of being the person who initiated and ran the offense in favor of Jashir Hartnett two years ago in favor of LJ Rose, like we were actively taking the ball out of TJ Haas's hands, who he may be the most, if if not the most, one of the most creative uh, creative distributors and creators in in college basketball. He's incredible at the ball in his hands. He's a wizard. And the fact that it took to this year to really empower him in the way that he, he, this whole offense does not work. If TJ Haas does not have the ball and is not running the show, like it's, that's not to say anything about the guys that are on the floor, Alex Barcelo when TJ Haas goes out, but there it's just different. TJ Haas, he draws so much attention. He understands and sees angles um, and passing lanes that others don't. He's he's incredible, and there's there's no replacement for that at this point. Um, and you saw that last night. He had his hands all over this game. That first 10 minutes of the first half when everybody was amped up, TJ was doing everything, steals, taking charges, getting to the getting uh getting into the paint and, and getting points, setting up others. Uh it was just it was just a masterclass and really a, a culmination of of everything that TJ has been working toward and the growth that he's had over the last four years. And it was just great to to see him do that on that stage. And I I'm sure, you know, that he will continue to show that kind of consistency moving forward as BYU finishes out this regular season, goes to Vegas, and then ultimately gets in the NCAA tournament. Because this is, you know, this is his first time there. This will be his first time any of these guys making it to making the tournament. And I think, 
you know, that's if you ask TJ when he committed to BYU with as part of the vaunted Lone Peak three, they thought they would have been there a few times by now, at least. Um, but this will be the first time. And it's it's really just going to be incredible to be able to see him on that stage because he, he richly deserves it. He's had a he's had a great career and he's grown so much. And it's great to it's great to see him here now. Um, speaking of the other senior starter. Jake Toulson had a heck of a night, just just dropping bombs from everywhere, basically. Yeah, it looked, it looked like it was reminiscent of Jimmer out there. I think we, I know we've talked, I've talked about it a little bit. Um, I know Jake Toulson. I think my our biggest kind of beef, I guess, if you want to call it, with Jake Toulson, is that he doesn't shoot enough threes. Um, or he's very his whole career been a very efficient shooter. And Mark Pope's even talked about. It. He's like he says Jake Toulson needs to take more tough shots because he shoots almost he's been shooting close to 50% from three and you're shooting close to 50% from three and only taking about four threes per game. It means you're not taking enough. You need to probably shoot closer to seven or eight threes per game. And last night, Jake, and he's last couple of games, he's been a little, little bit cool, cooled off a little bit, man. Some of those threes he was making last night were so deep. He was shooting so confidently. And that's what makes, I think this year's team so tough to stop because before people could really double down Yoli and Yoli had just pretty much TJ to throw it out to, but Jake Toulson, I know some national media pundits i believe um john rothstein called jake tolson maybe the best pure shooter in america and honestly it's hard to argue with that and he's just not a catch and shoot guy either he could do it off the dribble he could he's a good shot creator and there's one really big asset with jake he, he understands this offense i mean this is his fourth year in the under the mark pope offense and his scoring is good he's averaging about 15 points a game but not only last night but in the season his passing is so good because he understands the motion he understands the cuts he understands the screens probably better than any other player in this offense I mean, he averages four assists per game which is one of the top marks in the wcc so he just his passing is so good he knows where to go to the ball he knows when to isolate a little bit when he goes down the block he's so crafty he's only six foot five but he could post up on players taller than him shorter than him just his how versatile his game is I and mean, you could see why he was the whack player of the year last year but last night just his th- his three-point shooting his defense his rotations were on point to see it's just such a un- unique weapon i mean there's a reason teams like duke and virginia in the offseason were we're really coming after him, but fortunately he decided to follow Mark Pope. But it's the shooting, his passing, his knowledge of the offense, his experience as a fifth-year senior, and his knowledge of what the coaches want to do on both sides of the ball is just invaluable to this team. Has really brought everything together. Yeah, he's a. Uh, you know, I say this all the time on on Twitter, but if you let Jake Toulson set his feet, you have a depth wish. Like that guy, if he gets his feet set and a clean look at the basket, even if it's not clean, even if it's semi-clean, that ball is going in a huge portion of the time. Jake, has, has there ever been a BYU player in history when he's wide open, you felt more confident that the shot will go oh. in? Like even, I don't know if there's any other player I've thought of. I mean, just when he's open, you could pretty much guarantee it's three points. Yeah, it's incredible. As soon as, if he's lining up an open shot and it doesn't go in, I am visibly shocked because it is he is just a pure shooter i think he is the best definitely top two or three by in in terms of statistics but i think he is the best pure shooter in the country i would if i had a you know somebody had a gun to my head and said you have one person to make a three or else it's over for you buddy i would pick jake tulson that guy is incredible and but the thing everyone knows everyone's kind of gotten you know caught it's it's hard to miss that jake tulson is a great three-point shooter because because you know he's just percentage wise is up there he's getting close to 50 percent, like you said but the thing that i think people don't 
appreciate so much about Jake Tolson is he is a great creator too. And I think like you said, it mm-hmm. might be part of, you know, having been in this offense and understanding it so well, having played in it for four years. Um, but he had six assists last night. In addition to everyone, we had all the big shots and we all talk about that. And that was really, really important because there were some times that he hit big shots when BYU absolutely needed a big shot. Like the first BYU didn't make a three for the first while there. And it was, it was, and I think people are getting a little nervous, right? Like this is a team that needs to shoot the three. Well, nothing's going in. And then Jake just, you know, went, you know, Toolson Inferno on everybody and made a couple in a row. Um, but outside of just those shots, he was, he was, he was dropping dimes all over the place, six assists and four steals. He commits on defense. He, and I don't know that he's the best one-on-one defender in the world, but he's got really active hands and he finds him. He's, he's always in the right place. I think a lot of times he benefits from, uh, you know, a, an uh, a post entry pass being tipped uh, by one of the big guys who's kind of trying to three quarter front somebody, and then he picks it up and goes with it. He he just always seems to be in the right place, um, both on offense and on defense. And you know, like you said, I think that this team, you know, this is mostly the same team from last year, and so you have to give credit to Mark Pope for bringing kind of a new perspective and a new voice into the locker room to kind of get the most out of the talent that maybe wasn't uh, w- wasn't squeezed out of there last year. But this is an entirely different team if Jake Toulson is not on this team. Jake Toulson, just the the threat that he is, he stretches the defense so much. You have to guard the dude 30 feet from the basket because as Corey Kispert found out in a number of Gonzaga players, like if you give him any space back all the way out to the Marriott Center logo, it's going up. And if it goes up, there's a really good chance it's going in. And so he's yep. just an incredible player. Those three seniors have been have been incredible all year long. They've carried this team. Uh, you can rely on at least two of them having a great game on pretty much any night. It's been great to watch. But the other senior that you know played last night, obviously Dalton Nixon's been hurt, and I can sing a song you know years long about the beauty and, and importance of Dalton. Can next episode, can we get that song, Steve? Yeah, I'll, I'll do it. I'll do the, I'll do 40 right, minutes I'll hold straight, you to that. 40 minutes straight on Great. Dalton Nixon next episode. Um, Perfect. But the other one I want to tell the other senior that I want to talk about from last night, who I actually think if he's not on the floor, they don't win this game either is, is Zach Selyus. Yeah. Zach's it's, I don't know his transformation from freshman year to senior year has been incredible. He's a completely different player. His freshman year, one of the most efficient shooters in the country. And this year, just out of necessity, I mean, Mark Pope's top talks about it a lot. Zach Sellis is, I think he's really the ultimate team guy in, on this team, the way he's transformed his game. I mean, ideally, if it's up to him and the way he envisioned his career, he would have gone a lot like his freshman year, just kind of a Kyle Korver type player, a guy who really spots up, excellent three-point shooter. That's really what he knows for. That's his specialty. But this year, man, just with the way with the a lot of the stuff that's gone along, the players in the low post with Gavin being out for most of the year, with Yoli being out at the beginning of the year, just being really thin in the front court, Zach has become a power forward a stretch for and just this physicality his hustle he's really the energy guy in the team it's just awesome to see him going down the court just with the, the his stash his mullet as people like to call it and just the his, the sheer look of just determination and just energy in his face i think the team just feeds off of that man he's just i think he's probably him and connor harding are probably BYU's two best on ball perimeter defenders and if you'd have told me that three ago three years ago zach Silius, i would have never believed you that he would become this type of player 
I mean, his three-point shooting's down a little bit. He's shooting in the mid-30s. But last night, he hit that open three, which is really big. I mean, he he's always has that threat as a shooter. But he's he's able to post up. I think more than anything, just the energy he brings, the hustles. I think last night, the play that really embodied Zach Selyus, there was a play where Gonzaga had the ball. I think they missed a layup down low. And Petrushev was going with the ball. You know, Petrushev is seven feet, one of the best bigs in the country. And... Selyus just ripped the ball from him and just got the ball and BYU is able to go down and score. I think that just really embodied what Zach Selyus is, just total 100% unselfish, willing to do whatever it takes, and it obviously, and then chipped in 12 points on top of that. So just really the glue guy. I think Dalton Nixon's really the glue guy, but Zach Selyus is really the energy guy in this team, and that really manifested itself last night. Yeah, that dude's intense. I mean... I just like you talk about like obviously the change in his game from, you know, over these last four years, which has been stark uh, for all the reasons you mentioned, but just the change in how he approaches the game too, right? Like I felt like it was easy. And this is probably true of a lot of players uh, when they're young. Uh, four years ago, he would be disengaged from the game really easily. They didn't really feel like he felt like he kind of would float around and, and maybe disappear for long stretches of time, which I think happens much more often to most freshmen. Um, but yeah, you mentioned just watching him run down the court and that look of intensity that he gets on his face. This dude, when he is on the court, he is dialed in and he is all about team and he is all about doing whatever the team needs him to do. And that's true of him and Dalton Nixon. Those two guys, those are the heart and soul of this team. Like those are the guys who are 100%, 100% about team all the time doing whatever they need to do, any of the dirty work, any of the grunt work, uh, making themselves into the role that the team needs them to fill. Um, and this team would not be the same without those two guys. And obviously we saw last week kind of the adjustment that the team had to go through after Dalton Nixon went down with an injury and trying to figure out, you know, how how do we play without Dalton Nixon being there? Because he just does so much that's so good on both ends of the ball. And Zach is the exact same way. If Zach Salius went down too, uh, we would, th- there would be that same period of adjustment because he's just so important. Even though he doesn't have the stats and, and the high profile outside of, you know, his interesting look that he's got going on this year, um, he's, he's so important to this team. And he was so important last night. When BYU, when Gonzaga started bringing it close in the second half, um, and there was a period where it got real dicey and, you know, you kind of felt the colon start tightening. If you were a BYU fan, you got a little tense. Like, oh my gosh, is this going to, are they going to bring it back? And are we going to lose the lead? And is this going to go, you know, poorly after, you know, playing so well for so long? Um, it wasn't, it really was, it wasn't Yoli Childs and it wasn't TJ Haas and it wasn't even Jake Toulson who, kind of kept scored the big baskets and made the big plays that kind of kept BYU in that four to five point advantage range to kind of cushion that lead. It was Zach Selyus, the dude, and he scored in a number of different ways. You mentioned the big three in the first half, but he's scoring off runners. He's scoring down low on post moves, posting up guys who are smaller than them and then running back, giving them the you're too short uh, sign. The dude is just, is just, night and day difference over how he's developed in his in his career ripping the ball out of dude's hands while he's on the floor uh on his back just incredible stuff and you know i if you are a fan of basketball you have it's like a requirement that you have to be a fan of zach Selyus. the dude does everything you could ever want uh a single basketball player to do on both sides of the ball and i'm just so He's, he's so representative of like why I love this team. It's just like he he is the embodiment of it. Another guy that's kind of similar to that, not a senior, and we'll get to see him next year, but um, kind of brings that same mentality 
a kind of bulldog mentality is is Alex Barcelo, who you know I don't know if anybody really we didn't even expect him to play this year, Robbie, but he's been a huge part yeah. of this team. Alex Barcelo, I think you mentioned it perfectly, just the bulldog of this team, what Mark Pope likes to call him. I mean, you look at his stat line from last night. Only three points, no assists, one of four from the field. You kind of think, oh, ho-hum type of performance. But I think the point last night where I felt really BYU had the game in hand, I think it was under five minutes to go. BYU is only at five points. Gonzaga, like, oh no, is Gonzaga making the run? Is BYU going to pull a BYU and pull and tear all of our hearts out and blow this game that they led the majority of the game? Under five minutes to go, Barcelo gets the ball, drains a three, BYU is up by eight. And at that point, I think me and a lot of BYU fans were like, okay, this that that really sealed the game and just his offensive effort but the way his his defense just the intensity he brings like you said similar to zach is constantly so much energy like you see some of those throughout the season some of those celebration videos after the game you're like man this guy's a maniac just with the, all the energy he has i mean just his ball screen defense last night his help defense the way he, the positional defense that he's in he's always in the right spot at the right time he's a fantastic very efficient shooter shooting close to 50 percent from three and I'm glad he's only a junior that will get to have him back next year that he'll get to run the show a little bit more by himself that he'll get to flourish a little more have a little bit more of the spotlight on him but just this team what he does I mean he's not a he just really owned his role he, I mean, he's a starter he's not the star guy he's totally okay with that he's willing to do the dirty work on defense gonna make his open shots willing to make the right pass and he was doing that last night just guarding Gonzaga's perimeter guys always in the right spot at the right time just super important guy for this team that's really tied a lot of things together yeah and you know you mentioned him coming back next year he's gonna be really good next year guys like i know we're all kind of you know if you're looking ahead to next year already you're thinking man what do we really what does pope really have in the cupboard and obviously he's gonna pope's a great transfer recruiter he's gonna go back up the brinks truck of transfers i think this this summer especially if uh, the NCAA approves these new transfer rules before next year. Um, but Alex Barcelo is going to be really good. And he's done a really good job, like you said, of of playing in his role and kind of being the fourth option. Um, and it's it's never going to be easy to replace TJ Haas and Jake Toulson and Yoli Childs. But Alex Barcelo is a stud. The dude can do it on both ends. And it's just his mentality. He does have that bulldog mentality. He's a bit of a maniac, but you need that. He is he is the um, an emotional leader on this team, which is something that's really impressive considering this is his first year here. Um, and he wasn't even expected to play this year before he got that surprise kind of waiver that came through that allowed him to play. Um, but he's been incredibly important. And he he is, I think, in my opinion, if I had to have somebody guard you know, the other team's best perimeter player, I'd put Alex Barcelo on there. The man can move his feet, he's quick laterally, he's got active hands, and he just he feels it in his soul that he must. He, he takes takes it personally if his if his if his man scores on him. He is he has that dog mentality inside of him, and it's really important. It's a thing that I think BYU for a lot of years has lacked. And I think one of the great things about this team is they have multiple guys that have that mentality. I think they've kind of socialized it in the locker room. Um, I think that's why they've been able to be a, a much more successful defensive team than they've been in some in some of these years past where they've really struggled on that end. Um, and then just the the ability for him to step up after, like you said, having he had a really rough night offensively. He had a bunch of open threes, I think three open threes, and he missed all of them. And none of them were really close. But to step in and take that three when the game was in the balance, that was a huge moment um, and really was the turning point that that turned the tide back to BYU uh, and kind of s- 
if not sealed, but sent sent the game in a direction where BYU could win it. Um, to step up after being 0 for 3 on the night, not really having anything going offensively, and to hit that 3 in that moment with confidence and to own that shot, as Mark Polk talks about, is is incredible. It's the second time he's done it this year. He, it was the same story against Utah State earlier in the year when he had a horrible game offensively, couldn't make anything, but then hit that game-winning shot in the corner to, to seal the game. Uh, it was the exact same thing. That's just the type of guy Alex Barcelo is, um, and that's the type of guy he's going to be next year uh, and on an even bigger stage with an even bigger spotlight because he's going to be one of the guys. He's going to have the ball in his hands and he's going to be running the show, and BYU's going to be in good hands uh, when he does that. And speaking of a, of guys who will be there next year and will be called upon to play an even bigger role, another guy that's going to be in that position who had a great game and I think has been a huge surprise for this team uh, all season long, and you saw it again last night on the biggest stage possible, um, was Colby Lee, Big Idaho. Big Idaho. Yeah, I, I'll admit, I think coming into the season, I was – I had zero expectations for Colby Lee. Like maybe this is a little rough, but I did not think Colby Lee was a good basketball player. I didn't think he was Division One material, but I've been more than proven wrong. And I think Colby Lee is the perfect example of the development of this coaching staff and a huge testament to Colby Lee for buying in and how much hard work he's put in. I mean, he knows his limitations. He's not he's not the most athletic guy out there. He's not gonna jump very high. He's not gonna grab a ton of rebounds for a six nine guy, but just what he does, he does so well. He's probably he's the most efficient shooter on the BYU team. Like when he puts the ball up next to the rim, I feel very confident that the ball's gonna go in. Just the way that quick shot he's kind of come up with, that Nikolai Jokic shot for the Denver Nuggets, that type of shots the coaching staff is working on him with. Super efficient in those shots. I mean, he, and in, when he has an open three, I mean, more often than not, he's he's gonna sink it. He's in the right place at the right time. Just I think just the dedication he's put into the season and just a true testament to the coaching staff to the amount of development they've put into Colby Lee been a great story this year he just knows he knows his limitations but even more importantly he he knows his role he sticks with his role he's not going to go too far out of that and he's been more than rewarded just with that efficiency just with the amount of things he does on this team very very impressed with the performance colby lee's been putting up yeah he's uh he's a guy who i think is maybe the the greatest example of the impact of this these particular coaches on this team uh he was just he was not a great player last year and he didn't get a lot of time because of it and this year i mean he didn't have those shots those Jokic shots that you're talking about those little touch shots around the rim he's got incredible touch and all the and all the announcers on these games all remark on it cuz he does he's got really soft touch around the rim that wasn't there last year that was developed that was that's just a thing where they've put him in situations and helped him practice that to where he can now do that in games. Maybe it was latent and sitting underneath there all this time, but we didn't see any of that last year. I mean, last year it was basically catch the ball on the block and it didn't have a left hand at all. And let's just take as many hard dribbles as I can possibly take to the middle and try and get a, a right hook shot right-handed hook shot over my left shoulder. And then pretty much everybody figured that out after about, watching one game's worth of film and then just dug down and, and took the ball from him every time. It was not great. Um, but this year, you've just seen the growth, being able to score in a number of different ways, uh, little floaters as the roll man on, in a pick and roll situation, uh, obviously, you know, scoring on the block. Those, these, some of these shots he takes are really tough shots if you played the game. That They're not easy They're shots. They're not easy no. shots. He makes them look easy, but those little floaters from that little mid-distance, especially making that decision 
immediately off the catch as the roll man on a pick and roll, that is an incredibly tough shot. And he does make it look easy. And that is a testament to the work that he's put in, the work that these coaches have put in with him. And I think he's going to be, you know, against all odds, like you said, we wouldn't have expected this, you know, a year ago, but I think he's going to be a key piece moving forward. And he'll continue to, uh, you know, he has his weaknesses, but he'll continue to improve. He he's he still struggles as a defender. Um, I think that this, he he was really good last night, actually, defensively, and did a nice job against some really high-quality bigs from Gonzaga, and that was encouraging for me moving forward. But I think that's a place where he needs more consistency moving forward. He has to figure out how does he hold his own down there and obviously struggles on the perimeter when he gets put out there because he doesn't have the lateral foot speed. And I don't know if you're ever going to be able to fully compensate for that. But so he's got some things to work on, particularly on the defensive end, but there's promise there. And I think that we didn't, we didn't necessarily see that, um, see that a year ago. And so that's, that's encouraging for next year. Yeah, it really is. And then I guess we'll continue the Idaho trade. I'll kind of finish off the last two guys that really, Played last night, and I'll let you chime in, Steve. So Connor Harding, fellow Idahoan with uh, um, Colby Lee. I don't know if Idahoan's the right, the correct term. I think it but is. Jem Stater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Connor Connor Harding, Pocatello, same town as Taysom Hill. Last night wasn't necessarily his best performance. Um, but I mean, I think what it when I when I think Connor Harding this season, what really embodies him, he's great open shooter when he's and he's an open three i kind of along with jake toolson and he's gonna hit that almost every single time but i think i remember that saint mary's game earlier in the year BYU is could not stop jordan ford in the first half could not stop malik fitz in the second half he came in the first half and he's got kind of a bum knee he's he mentioned um earlier he says he kind of hurt his knee in high school his senior year playing football and this year it's flared up again in practice he re kind of retweaked it and that's why here was the brace on the knee but in that St. Mary's game a few weeks back, first half of Jordan Ford was going off, put in Connor Harding. Connor Harding really honestly shut down Jordan Ford the rest of the first half. In the second half, and Malik Fitz was unconscious. Pope decided to put Connor Harding, who's a little undersized compared to Malik Fitz, and really turned the tide of that game and really slowed down Malik Fitz. And last night, you know, he didn't necessarily have the points, he didn't have his best performance of the season, but he did. He was guarding Jay, he was guarding Corey Kispert out there, he's guarding Woolridge, he's guarding Gonzaga's guards, did a really good job on him. Just just another one of those guys. I, I honestly, I see zero e- ego in Connor Harding, just really one of the most down to earth, just team first guys and we will talk about i mean we don't talk about next year too much since we're focusing kind of on what this season lies ahead but i'm really excited for his future once next year i think the offense is really going to run through him a lot just so what that kind of growth entails but overall last night and just this season just really whatever he's willing to do an awesome defender just really goes all out in defense plays his role in offense plays within himself just a fantastic player that just really fits seamlessly into what mark pope has for the vision of this team yeah, he's a he's a really promising player. Only a sophomore, he's gonna be. You know, yeah, like I said, there's been a lot of a lot of a little bit not a lot a little bit of hand wringing already about like, well, what does this team look like next year? Guys like Barcelo uh, and Connor Harding, especially those guys are studs. They're gonna be so good next year. They're playing their role this year and doing everything that's been asked of them. Next year, they're gonna get their chance to shine. And, and Connor Harding is a guy who can do it, like you've already said kind of on both on both ends of the floor and another guy and he was great last night and in, in, in terms of doing what he was asked to do guarding guys uh, and playing filling his spot in the offense and, and he'll continue to do that moving forward and it's just nice to have a guy who shoots you know 40 percent from the three-point line as your you know second or third guy off the bench it's a pretty incredible luxury 
that Mark Pope has, and he'll obviously be in the starting lineup next year, probably as the starting two guard. Um, and it, you know, it, he'll get his chance to shine. And similarly, you know, another guy who's going to be big next year and who actually was really big last night after having a rough couple games back, uh, is Gavin Baxter, a guy who we pretty much forgot about after he hurt his shoulder, um, in training camp right before the season. We thought that he was all indications were that that, that injury was pretty serious and you know, it was going to keep him out till really late in the season. And he'd probably just shut it down and take the red shirt. Um, but to his credit, Gavin Gavin was really insistent on that he wanted to get back, especially once it was pretty clear that this was a special team and a special season, that he wanted to get back and he was willing to burn a year, basically, of eligibility to to be a part of this team and do and and play on this stage, um, a stage like last night, a stage like the NCAA tournament, and and give his what he could to this team. And you know, the first few games back. Uh, they weren't great. Or they were rough. Pretty rough for our guy Gavin, who obviously we saw last year is a, is a really can be a really great player, a really productive player, um, even you know as a freshman sophomore. Um, but it was just clear that he hadn't played a basketball game in a year, and he didn't know where to be. He had you had Dalton Nixon out there telling him where to be on offense every single play. <laughs> uh, just did, wasn't sure what the scheme was, and so they brought him along really quick. And last night. It was the first time this season since he's been back, it's only been three games, where you felt like he really had a positive impact on the floor. Mark Pope talked about it post-game, that, you know, that game, they, he said, we probably don't win that game with, without, you know, the contributions that Gavin Baxter had because they had guys in foul trouble all the first half. They had, like, five guys with two fouls at halftime. And he's like, we just didn't have enough bodies. If we didn't have Gavin Baxter... You know, we wouldn't have had enough bodies to hold off Gonzaga in that first half and get to the get to halftime with the lead. And he was he looked like, you know, shades of the Gavin Baxter we saw last year who put up 25 on LMU. Yeah, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't shooting the threes and and being a featured post guy on offense. That's not really his spot on this team. But he was getting to the glass. He had a huge tip in off a missed three. Um, he played well on defense. He looked like he knew for the most part, there's only a few times where someone had to point to him where he was supposed to be in the offense. Um, and it was just, it was all energy. It was all just effort, which on this team, you know, Gavin Baxter was a top 100 player coming out of high school and he will be a featured guy on this team next year, a hundred percent once he's got his legs back under him and had a whole summer to kind of get back into the flow. But you know, for what he's for what he's been asked to do, being three games back from a really long layoff and injury, uh, last night was really really encouraging. I think he can continue if he can continue to build on that. Uh, he's going to play a really crucial role in some NCAA tournament games uh, moving forward. Yeah, no, I I think you hit it right in the head. It was good. I, finally, he didn't look like totally lost last night, and I don't think BYU is ever going to get a guy again that's six nine. Has a seven foot three wingspan and a forty four inch vertical, forty four inch vertical leap, and that's what Gavin Baxter is. You know, there were still times last night he wasn't, didn't. I mean, offense. I don't know if this year he's fully going to be integrated into the offense, but just some of his hustle plays. He had that huge tip in last. He had four points last night. One of them was he had a couple huge tip ins. Just his length on the defensive end, he gets Petrushev and Timmy some troubles on the defensive end. And if he could do that, just be the energy guy in offense that creates a couple extra possessions. Because really, outside of Dalton Nixon, BYU really has nobody else that creates extra offense possessions. BYU is one of the worst offensive rebounding teams in the nation. I mean, some of that's by design because BYU typically gets back on defense, but another because BYU just doesn't have any guys with the length that Gavin does. So if he just creates a few extra possessions, if he's willing to get a couple block shots, alter a few shots, I mean, he could be the difference come down the stretch in the NCAA tournament game that puts BYU over the edge. So it's really good to see Gavin really excited with that looks forward for the rest of the season. 
So I guess moving along, Steve, shifting gears a little bit, we talked a lot about the players that impacted last night, not only how they impacted last night for just kind of what they've done the, the whole season. So let's let's look forward a little bit to see what the rest of the season looks like. So we're just about getting close to the end. BYU season finale is next Saturday at Pepperdine. And we know a BYU- where we always win. Always, you know, if you count BYU to get a win, you can count BYU to win at Pepperdine. But uh, honestly speaking, I know and Pepperdine's a good team this year. they not a good defensive team, but really good offensive team. They could really put up points. As it stands right now, they're at quadrant two game. So they're, I think, right at the four or five seed in the WCC. In the WCC, um, Colby Ross, one of the best guards out West. They have really, really good starting five. So, I mean, it's definitely a game BYU cannot look past. I mean, at this point, BYU has zero bad losses. If BYU was to lose to Pepperdine, it wouldn't be a horrible loss metrics-wise. But it would be a sub hundred loss, which would be BYU's first of the season, and it just wouldn't look good at this point in the season. Like, oh, BYU beat Gonzaga, and then they came back to earth a little bit, lost to a team like Pepperdine. BYU needs to really go out, be really on, and just what I've seen from BYU this year. BYU, Mark Pope has preached every single game to treat every game as the most important of the season, and I haven't seen anything from BYU this year to think that they would overlook this game. Now, I, I anticipate a little bit, not BYU maybe to blow them up by 30, maybe to be a little slow coming out of the gates, but BYU really needs to win this game. And then just looking where BYU stands right now, um, I posted an article in Vanquish the Foe on Sunday that kind of talked about BYU's resume, what their metrics look like. And metrics-wise, BYU's looking really good right now. BYU's 14th in net, which is the primary sorting tool the NCAA selection committee uses to select teams in a quadrant one, two, three, and four quadrants. BYU 16 and Ken Palm, which is kind of the holy grail of Ken Palm analytics. And then looking, a lot of teams BYU beat are just looking better and better. So BYU has three quadrant one wins right now. Obviously, at that Gonzaga win last night or uh, Saturday night, have the Utah State win. Utah State starting to finally look like that team we saw in preseason, looking really good. Game at Houston, that Wins looking really solid. The one win that's really looking good, keeps looking better and better, is that UCLA win. UCLA really just not great in January, December, but UCLA they're right up there at the top of the Pac-12 right now. They've, They've just, been gangbusters the last few weeks. They have. Mick Cronin's really got things going there. They beat the one at Arizona, top twenty-five win a couple weeks ago. Saturday they won at Colorado, who is ranked eighteen, the number one team in the Pac-12. So when it's all said and done, UCLA at this point they're probably playing the best ball in the Pac-12 right now. They may be the best team they may win the Pac-12 that's all said and done so if UCLA can win the Pac-12 they could get to the NCAA tournament that could really be the feather in the cap that gets BYU a really good seed and speaking of good seeds I think right now as it stands Steve with that win at Gonzaga with the wins BYU has now with the zero bad losses I think there's Let's kind of get. I kind of want to hear your prediction where you think BYU could potentially land at the NCAA tournament. So I think I think BYU before the Gonzaga game was already in good position to make the NCAA tournament. They're probably in, from any we're looking anywhere between a seven seed to to maybe an eleven seed, depending how things landed. But with the win over Gonzaga, I think BYU could be looking. I think at a five or six seed. So I think if it stood now, BYU beats Pepperdine. Then the W that would ensure the two seed in the WCC tournament, which means a triple bye to the semifinals. BYU doesn't have to play till that Monday. In all likelihood, plays St. Mary's in the semifinals. St. Mary's would be a quadrant one game. If BYU, if, even if BYU beats St. Mary's and loses a fairly close one to Gonzaga in the finals, I would think probably a five, maybe a six seed at that point. I, you looked at the probabilities before. That ensures about a, that's. 
teams that are five or six seed win about 65% of the time. BYU somehow ran the table, beat Gonzaga. I think a four is really the ceiling. But right now, I'm looking at five, low into seven, likely a five or a six seed. It's kind of how I think it's shaping out. And if you're a five or six seed, you put yourself in a chance to get into the second weekend, make a sweet 16 and beyond run. Yeah, I mean they're 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 sitting in a good spot. The the and I I wouldn't disagree with your kind of characterization of this at all. Uh, I think that you know the big caveat is they got to keep winning games. If they yeah. go out to Malibu next week and lose to Pepperdine, that's not going to erase all the goodwill from this Gonzaga uh, win because it's just such a huge win. It's the best game on their resume right now, um, and they don't have like you said any bad losses. So there's not any you know tally marks against them really at this point um but if they lose it will take some of the sheen off they're gonna go out there uh to pepperdine next week ranked probably anywhere between 15th and 18th in the country probably uh we'll find out tomorrow when the rankings come out but you know after getting all that notoriety getting all that kind of national pub and recognition that they've gotten since last night um to go out there and really lay an egg uh, against Pepperdine, Pepperdine, which is it's a hard place to play. It's a hard game to it's a it's a hard uh, hard venue to win in, as we've seen in the past. Um, but BYU probably should still win that game. They're they're going to be favored. They've got you know I think the the projection is like eighty three percent chance to win. Mm-hmm. Um, you know they should win this game, and they're going to have to continue to win. And if they don't win, if they lose to St. Mary's in the semifinals of the WCC tournament, which is very possible, the, yep. both those games have been extremely close this year. Obviously, going down to the last shot in both of them in Moraga and Provo. Um, you know, I think that BYU is a lock to get in. It's just a question of where they where they wind up. Um, uh, I want to ask you, Steve. Um, we talked. I think we've been drinking the blue Kool Aid a lot this episode. I mean, rightfully so, coming off that high win over Gonzaga. What are the, some of the things about this BYU team that concerns you? I, I guess up top for me a bit before I hand it off to you. I think teams that that will. I think BYU. They've been pretty consistent this year, but we've seen multiple times in the second half. BYU's given away some big leads. So I think not getting too complacent. BYU's that San Francisco game, that Utah game, even that Santa Clara game that BYU almost blew, just got a little too complacent. I think teams that will give BYU trouble are teams that could really attack off the dribble. One thing that BYU hasn't seen much in the WCC, even from Gonzaga, Gonzaga has really good bigs, but honestly not elite guards. I go back to that Kansas game. BYU held tight with Kansas, but a guard like Devon Dotson, teams that have big physical guards that will really lock up TJ and Jake on the perimeter, that's what Kansas did. He really gave Jake and TJ a hard time. Teams that have big guards that aren't afraid to really get at BYU pass once they pass half court is going to give BYU trouble. And the teams that really attack the basket are going to give BYU trouble. I mean, San Francisco, they do that well. Pacific do that well. BYU didn't have an easy time with either of those teams. And obviously, when you get into March, you're going to have guards that are obviously much better than Pacifics and San Francisco's and the other WCC guards, the BOECs. But BYU, with really that lack of per- that inside presence with much size, teams that aren't afraid to attack the basket, if BYU plays one of those teams in the first round, like a team like a Florida State, like if Florida State was a four seed and BYU played in the second round, the teams that were super athletic, super long, those are the teams I think give you a lot of pa- pause and hesitation. Even if BYU has a good shooting night, it's going to be really hard for BYU to get past those types of teams. Yeah, I mean, BYU has traditionally over many years struggled I mean, with teams with two things, length and athleticism. I mean, you could, I guess you could copy that analysis, I guess, for every year BYU the last 50 years. So, I mean, I guess it's not necessarily anything new, but I think for this team, it's just the lack of size on the inside. That's the team that would type of team that would give BYU trouble. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, this team, the offense is so predicated on it's it's a free flowing offense, and like if I think the kind of like that that weave, you know, dribble handoff motion that they run back and forth. It's it's really where it's it's at its most effective is when it basically like lull you to sleep and then before you know it there's like a there's a backdoor a, cut or, there's yeah. a backdoor cut or a deviation that you didn't think of um, and that's all kind of predicated on like a freedom of movement and when BYU has really struggled this year like you said is when teams really get up into them push them back off the three point line where they normally run that four out offense um, and really like push them so they're running the offense not at 23 feet they're running the offense and start and initiating the offense at like 26 27 feet or much farther from the basket uh byu doesn't really have the quickness across the board especially against quick teams to take advantage of that space that's created there and get past people one-on-one it's just we don't have a lot of great drivers it's not what this team is built to do um and so teams that can get inside byu make them uncomfortable play physically if the refs let it go which they probably will in march um that's those are the types of teams i think you're absolutely right that byu is going to struggle the other thing i worry about this team is free throw shooting uh this team is not a great free throw shooting team they're not bad as a whole they have some really great free throw shooters um but you look at San Francisco did with with Yoli. Sorry to cut you off, but Todd Golan's a super analytical coach. The game that BYU lost, he fouled Yoli at a one on one opportunity. BYU was down two. He wanted to put Yoli in the line, and Yoli couldn't convert. So I agree. I mean, TJ, Jake are good free throw shooters, but just tight games down the line. It's like, do you trust this team to put the game away at the foul line? Yeah, I mean, and I was that was what I was worried about last night because the foul count kind of racked up there uh, really early. I think we went to both teams were in the bonus with like seven or eight minutes to go. And I was worried about how that would shake out. And Gonzaga just happened to foul, you know, guys who made, who who are some of our better free throw shooters like TJ and Jake. Um, but, you know, the prospect of Yoli having to make foul, make foul shots down the, you know, down the stretch in an NCAA tournament game is something that gives me pause. Not that he can't make them. He's made them before, but you know his percentage isn't great, and I think that the finger injury kind of impacts that as well. I think it's just, you know, he's got those fing- he's got the finger taped up, and I think it's hard to kind of kind of changes the shot. But he's never been a great free throw shooter. Uh, it's kind of one of the big only only big weaknesses in his game. And so, you know, as a guy who's you, if you want to run the offense through him like we do so often, uh, teams are going to figure out uh, that. You know, and when the ball goes into Yoli and it's getting down to crunch time and the Cougars are in the bonus, why not just foul him and put him on the line? There's a pretty good chance he's going to miss the front end of that one and one. Um, so I, I worry about that. But I think that, the, you know, those are, you know, this team probably not going to win a national championship. That's not what this, that's not the, I know that that's probably their goal and it should be their goal. But speaking realistically, that's not what this team does. I, For me, success, just in terms of like what success looks like in terms of wrapping this up, Robbie and looking at these next, you know, couple weeks, next month really that's left in this season. For me, if BYU gets the tournament and wins a game, that is a wild success. That is a huge step forward from where they were a year ago losing to San Francisco uh, San Diego by 30 in the first round of the West Coast Conference tournament. Um it's a huge it's just a huge step forward as a program. It's a place that BYU in terms of winning a game in the NCAA tournament hasn't been in in many 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 years back since 2013 or something like that um so that would be success for me uh, i know folks have high expectations and high hopes as we should uh, you always want to hope for for great things and i think that's one of the great hallmarks that that 
Mark Pope has brought back in this program is a little sense of hope and optimism and, and forward vision. Um, but I think we should also temper those expectations. And if we get in there and we, we win a first round game, uh, I'll be feeling really good about, about where this program was and what this year ended up as. You know what I want, Steve? When it's, when it's conference weekend, when it's conference weekend, it always lines up at the final four. I want to make the conscious decision when it's priesthood session to choose to watch BYU in the final four over priesthood session. I want to make that decision in my life. And I want that decision to happen this year. That's, I want to make that decision say, no, I'm going to put, I'm going to DVR priesthood session. I'm going to watch BYU in the final four, but realistically speaking, I, I agree with you. I think it just rewind to expectations going into this year. Dave Rose retires. Yoli's gone. And with all intents and purposes, Yoli Childs was 100% gone. Um, Jake Tolson obviously wasn't in the radar before Mark Pope came in. Alex Barcelo wasn't obviously in the radar. You were probably looking at a team with run by Nick Emery, uh, Nick Emery, TJ Haas, and hopefully a healthy Gavin Baxter. And I don't think that team makes the NIT. And then Yoli comes back. You had the suspension. You're like, okay, really excited. And then Gavin gets hurt. You're like, oh man, now we're not going to make the tournament. And now we're here. And obviously, super sky high expectations. And I'm, I, I pretty much see it the same way as you. If BYU made it to the NCAA tournament, won that first round game, I'd consider it a success. If BYU makes it to the second weekend and beyond, I consider that gravy in an all time season, just because BYU has so rarely got to the second weekend of the tournament. But obviously, we have, we, Shooting for the stars, I kind of were after that window gone zag. We're thinking, okay, what if can BYU actually get to the Sweet 16 or beyond? I think obviously that'd be an incredible all time season, but I agree. If BYU makes the NCAA tournament, wins that first round game, I think this would be one of the seasons we remember for a very long time. Very fun and successful season. Absolutely. And I think we'll leave it there. This is, uh, this is a, an incredibly fun team. It's been an incredibly fun season. There's going to be Hopefully a lot more fun ahead. Hopefully last night against Gonzaga is just kind of the, a taste of what's to come and the, and the good times and the, the fun games that we're going to have uh, over these next few weeks in, in Vegas and the WCC tournament. Then obviously, hopefully in the NCAA tournament, hopefully get more than one game. Uh, but this is just a, a great time, a great time to be a Cougar fan. I hope everybody just, just savors this. It's not going to be like this every year, even with Mark Pope here. Uh, this is a special team, a special time, a special run. Uh, that we're experiencing here. And so uh, I hope we all get to experience that. And we'll be back next week uh, to hopefully talk about another win over Pepperdine, continuing to vanquish those Firestone Fieldhouse demons. Uh, and we'll see you next week here on Shut Up and Jimmer. Go Cougs. 